awesome. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Ron. That was great. Dave's been wanting to do that song for a while, and I'm so glad he waited till I came back to be able to do that. I love this place. We didn't land till 7 o'clock last night in Pittsburgh Airport and got home about 9 o'clock. So Dave and I have been working out everything in a set via email and a couple pictures here and there as to what things are going to look like. So I really appreciate being able to do that. You doing good? Glad you're here this morning. I so love doing the communion time in the first part with the music and everything that tied in together. So that was wonderful. A lot of information in your bulletin. Please make sure you read it. I haven't read it yet. So uh, you read it. And make sure that you're clearly aware of all that's going on, a lot going on out there. We've got venison dinner coming up, one of our largest outreaches. And we need dozens and dozens of people to help us with that. 950 guys and boys come together that night to share together, to learn, to grow, to have fun. And uh, we just need a lot of help pulled off. So if you can help us with that, there's gals out there after the service, baby bottle campaign, a lot of great things going on you don't want to miss out on. So please take advantage of that. Every sermon notes in your bulletin this morning, so take them out. You'll notice when I fanned it out this morning in the first service, I have all my notes that are written out, and, and I went like this, and I looked at the one guy, and he said, seriously, not one day, right? And I said, nope, two. That's why your sermon notes have that warning ahead of time so that you're aware of that. Bob talked me into going to the Dominican Republic for a work project in a couple of weeks, and so we needed to finish this series in Ephesians this Sunday and next Sunday morning. And so we're looking forward to really being able to wrap our minds around all the things God wants to teach us as we culminate this great teaching that we've been in since the middle of August. And I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you learned from it. There's some incredibly powerful truth in all of this context. And we wanted to make sure that you clearly understood it. But you've got to really pay attention. There's some unbelievable things that God wants to teach us today and next Sunday morning about the battle that we're in. You don't have to know a whole lot about military history to know that our nation's been involved in a number of battle and wars for decades and decades and centuries. Revolutionary War fought for our independence. The Civil War between the states. Can you imagine, or think back for a moment, the generations that literally stopped? I mean, you talk about your grandparents or your great-grandparents or others in your lineage that have been a part of your life or at least people you remember can you imagine for a moment that there were generations that literally stopped at that time? And then World War I, which was supposed to be what? The war to end all wars. Unfortunately, it didn't. World War II and Korea and Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan. In most cases, even when the battle was against an oppressive ideology like communism or the Taliban, it was usually centered around a geographical location. Not always, but in most cases, it was centered around a geographical location. So when we were sending our boys and our girls overseas to fight a battle, wherever that may have been, we at least knew somewhat where they would be. But the war on terrorism is beyond borders. It is extremely unpredictable and could happen anytime any place, sometimes where you least expect it. The war that our nation has been involved in, and many nations like ours, and the war on terrorism is beyond borders, extremely unpredictable, and can happen anytime, any place, sometimes where you least expect it. Does that sound at all similar to what Paul's describing in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, 11, and 12? He's describing a cosmic battle. Not one limited to a geographical location, not one that every once in a while you could actually see and understand, although many times you can, but one that is extremely unpredictable, very powerful, 
well beyond borders that can happen anytime, any place, sometimes when you least expect it or at least unprepared for it. And when you talk about the similarities between the battle of terrorism and the battle that Paul is describing in Ephesians chapter 6, you can understand some of the parallels. In this case, Paul gives us very fair warning. He tells us exactly who the enemy is, what his intentions are, and how to prepare. And while our nation has wrestled with what to call our enemy, Peter and Paul don't. They clearly tell us that we've got an enemy who's out to destroy us. Not just to trip us up or help you to have a bad day, but somebody who's a roaring lion, not someone to scare you or intimidate you, but to devour you. And somebody who will do everything they possibly can to destroy the work of God and basically destroy the people of God, if we allow them. A couple of Sundays ago, I shared with you a lot of information about Satan, who he is. There are a lot of people that don't believe it, people that blow it off. Talk to missionaries all around the world and not a one of them. We talk about spiritual warfare, the demonic deliverance and all the things that go with that that we talked a few weeks ago that don't say, oh, I see it every day. I'm clearly aware. Everything that Paul describes when he said we're fighting darkness and we're fighting evil and the principalities of power, everything he talks about in that I see all the time. Not everyone in our context or our culture sees that, but it really is a powerful force that is coming against us. And Paul said, I want you to be aware of it. I want you to be ready for it. I want you to be dressed for battle. And so if you go back to butlercac.org and listen to the sermons, you can all listen to all of these as they're posted online a couple of hours after the service. This morning I want to talk to you this day and next Sunday morning about how to dress for battle. We're going to explore all the resources that God has given us, and not just to survive the battle, but to win it. Most of the time, we want to survive if I can just somehow get through this. Life's tough. Things are hard. The enemy seems to be coming at me every day. I just want to survive. I, I just want to somehow get out the other side. And we all do, but what I'm talking about, and while the resources God has given us, is not just to survive it, but to win it. Not just to somehow get through it, but come out the other side strong and ready and prepared. Every soldier knows that he or she needs to be ready, alert, aware, and disciplined. They know what their weapons are, they know where their weapons are, and they know how to use them. Let me ask you a question as you look at the screen this morning. If you were going into battle, would you want to follow this guy or this guy? If I were to ask you the same question, which one of these two guys do you think are more prepared for battle? The first guy or the second guy? The first guy. But if we're really honest, there are a few of us, now I'm not going to look at anybody this morning, but there are a few of us that are a little bit like that guy on the couch. Just going through life haphazardly, not clearly aware of, oh man, not clearly aware of anything that's going on around them, and they think they've got it made. They think they're ready for whatever the enemy brings. They think they're ready for life, and I'm telling you, they're not going to make it. Every soldier knows where their weapons are. They know where, what their weapons are, and they know how to use them. This section of Scripture here this morning is not a few final thoughts of Paul. Hey, by the way, there are a couple more things I want to share with you, so pay attention. I don't want you to miss this. This is the culmination of everything that Paul's been sharing for five and a half chapters. He's been leading us through a process of reminding us who we are in Christ, what our salvation costs, 
what Jesus did for us that we celebrated this morning, how we ought to live and how we ought to treat those that we live and work with. Right living, living for Jesus, doesn't just happen. Being all that God designed us to be and making sure that we have an impact on our family, on our relationships with our spouses, on our relationship with our children, passing it on to the next generation, being able to be involved with the people around us that we work with and trying to make a difference where we live does not just happen. And it's not just haphazardly. We've got to work at it. And opposition is absolutely certain. When Paul talks to us about spiritual warfare, he's like a general preparing us for battle, and he really wants to make sure that we're ready for it because he knows it's going to come. You don't have to turn there this morning, but you can jot your notes somewhere, Acts chapter 20, verse 29. The book of Acts, when Jesus rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, look, this message has changed your life, right? And they all knew it had. He said, I want, to take you, I want you to take it everywhere you go. I mean, start where you're at, Jerusalem. Take it to the next community, the next community, to people that don't really care, people that really don't know, people that you're going to be uh, certainly different from, and I want you to take it everywhere you go to the end of the earth. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And then the book of Acts is their accomplishment of that task. As they took the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere they went. A lot of the books that are written in the New Testament to Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Romans are are written about that journey. They're written to people. Paul, one of the guys who was radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, was a missionary to these places. And he took the gospel of Jesus Christ with him everywhere he went, and churches began to be established out of that. He had spent a year with this one, and two years with that one, and three years with that one. I was with a group of large church pastors in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, pastors whose churches are about our size and some well beyond that. And we went around a circle and talked about how long we'd been in certain churches, and it was 11 years and 12 years, in my case, 21 and a half years, and, and 28 years, and 30 years, and 33 years. And, and we talked about the beauty of longevity, the beauty of being able to share in a large church context with people that you love and adore for a long period of time. And I thought back to what I was going to share today and realized that in Paul's cases, he only had the opportunity to spend a year or two or, or three and certain locations and then leaving to the next and going on to the next and one of those occasions to this church that he's writing to here in the book of ephesians he's leaving he calls them down to the shore he's about to get on the boat and gathers the elders together and probably some people from the church and i gotta believe he's weeping over them whatever day that may be when i go to leave here i know there's going to be cheers from you and tears from me but I'm absolutely going to be blown away of what it's going to be like to be with you for such a long period of time and then to know that I'm going to transition you into the hands of someone else. And Paul knew what that was like. And he looked at them and said, you have no idea how much I love you. And you have no idea how nervous I am that when the enemy comes, you're going to fall away. Because I'm telling you, when I go to leave, savage wolves are going to come in. And they're coming after you. And they're coming after you. They're coming after the flock. He's writing to that church. Christian life and spreading the gospel wasn't going to be easy, and Paul knew it. He knew it for them as he shared with them the same message that Jesus had given them to go into the battle. When Christ rose from the dead, it was a declaration of war. When Jesus died and was in the tomb, the enemy was clapping. Exactly what I wanted to happen. This great leader that came to change the world and turn it upside down died on the cross and they threw him in a grave. 
awesome. And then Jesus rose from the dead, which is why we celebrate Easter with such thunder and celebration. And he said, I'm back. And I'm coming after you. And to him, it was a declaration of war. We need to understand the cosmic conflict that we're in is really powerful and we need to be ready. The more victory you experience in your relationship with Jesus, the more you need to be aware of the battle. You determine to take risks for God, and the enemy's going to stand in your way every step of the way to try to stop you. He's a schemer, and he's a liar. He lies about life. Get all you can. You only go around once. He lies about death. There's nothing beyond today. There's nothing beyond the grave. He lies about God. He's not that interested in you. You may think he is, but he's out there somewhere in a cosmic place, not really that intimately interested in you. He lies about himself. Look, I'll give you what you want now. No strings attached. You'll love it. It won't bother you at all. When you want out, get out. He lies about heaven and hell. He said neither is real. God says both are real. He lies about joy that is found in his way. He attacks individuals. He attacks the church. The battle is going to get tough. And Paul said, I want you to be ready for that so that when... Verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6, which is where you are this morning, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be ready. It's not if the battle comes. It's not if we're going to face an enemy. It's when the day of evil comes, got to be ready. You don't want to wait until the day of evil comes and then decide then to put your armor on. You want to be ready for battle every day and be prepared. One of the ways to be ready for that battle is in chapter 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. You try to stand up against Satan on your own strength and power, you're not going to make it. And one of the greatest ways to be strengthened in the Lord is our devotional life. Spending time in the word of God and spending time together with him in prayer. I came to faith in Christ in March of 1965. I was heavily involved in YFC campus life. It was in a lot of high school in the area, a lot of the high schools in the area of Western PA where I grew up. And they talked to us all the time the very outset of our brand new Christian life about devotions. 60 years from then, nothing's changed. The basics and the essence of the basics of Christianity is time alone with God and spending time together in, his, in prayer. Devotions haven't changed. We don't talk a lot about them maybe, but they haven't changed at all. One of the greatest ways to be consistent in our walk with God, one of the greatest ways to be strengthened in His power and in His might is spending time with God in prayer and spending time in His Word. For a lot of Christians, when you talk to them about their devotional life, it's almost as inconsistent or unimportant to them as flossing. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to do that. But, but I, I, I do it quite often, but I don't do it all the time. I don't know if you go to regular checks up every six months, I go to the dentist and this girl cleans my teeth. And what do you think is the first question she's going to ask me when I want to walk in there? Are you flossing? Now, she knows I'm a minister. And so I can't lie to her. So I say, no, I don't. I didn't. I haven't. <laughs> How often since the last time you saw me, do I really have to look at you in the face when I tell you that? And so often when I talk to people about their spiritual life and the practical disciplines of life and the two basics of spending time in the Word of God and spending time with God in prayer, have you had your devotions? It's probably a question you haven't asked in a long time. But if I ask you that question, all of you, some of you, maybe every one of you would say, absolutely, it was awesome this morning, it was great yesterday, I had a blast on Tuesday. And others of you would say, well, not today. 
This week, well, well, I was busy. Got a lot going on. I'm raising six kids. You don't have any idea what I'm facing at work and the challenges are overwhelming. The more, more time you are with God, the more time you're in the Word of God, the more time you spend with God, the more prepared you are for all the other challenges of life. And the less time you spend in the Word of God, and the less time you spend with God, the less prepared you are for all of those challenges of life. One of the best ways to get prepared, one of the best ways to stand firm in the Lord and to power His might is connecting with God. Not just simply getting through Scriptures to say, I got through Scriptures. Not just reading the Word of God as if I'm on a mission. Read the Word of God this week, 27 chapters just this morning. Like we're on a mission to get it accomplished. I'm reading through the Bible every single year, every single day. I'm really hung up right now in Leviticus and Numbers, but I'm going to get through. As if we're on a mission. It's not simply about being on a mission. It's about a connection with God, developing a passion for Him and His Word. Sure, it's discipline. Every soldier needs to be disciplined. But it's beyond discipline. It's much deeper than that. It's devotion, which is why it's called devotions. It's a deep, passionate love for God. It's a love for my Lord, a love for my King that I have as a soldier, and I'll follow Him anywhere. I'm so in love with God and so in love with Jesus and so enjoy spending time with him that no matter what goes on around me, I know he's going to be with me every step of the way and I love that time with him. And I'll follow him anywhere. Paul goes on in this section of scripture to give us a number of the pieces of the armory that are available at our disposal and I want to talk to you about them today and next Sunday morning. The first one is the belt of truth. The belt of readiness. Stand firm. Verse 14 of chapter 6. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in its place. In Paul's day, most everyone wore a tunic. It flowed down around. It was kind of long and kind of covered all, obviously, the body. But it just was a free-flowing kind of thing. And if you were just lying around or sitting on a couch, it wasn't that big of a deal. But if you're going into battle, you don't want all the loose ends of the tunic flying everywhere. So when they went into the battle, they would take all those loose ends. They still had that legging on that particular part, but they would take all that and tuck it into the belt so that they were ready and nothing was flapping around when they're trying to run into battle. That classic section of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 when Paul has given us unbelievable history of the people of God taking great steps of faith. He said, I want you to, I, I want you to know that what I've shared with you is thousands of witnesses who's gone on before, who paid the ultimate price, who really believed that everything they heard about God was worth dying for and living for, and they went after it with everything they had. And because they've gone on before you, I want you to do the same. I want you to get rid of all the junk that's going to hold you back, all those loose things that are keeping you from running the race with pure devotion. And so when Paul writes this section of Scripture here, I believe he has that in mind, that picture of that soldier who's got to take all that junk that's going to kind of hold him back from really being ready for whatever the enemy throws at him and ready for that battle and kind of puts it there, tucks it into his belt, and he's ready to go so that they don't get caught off guard or sitting on a couch drinking root beer and pizza, eating pizza. Truthfulness means sincerity and undefiled purity of commitment. He said, wrap yourself with a belt of pure commitment, an unashamed commitment to Christ and the walk that he's calling me to. I am absolutely flat out committed to Jesus. 
not been easy. I know it's going to be tough. I know the enemy's going to come after me. But I am so committed to Christ that no matter what happens, I'm there. I'm with him. I'm convinced that he's going to be with me every step of the way. Notice also it's the first thing that needs to go in place. Otherwise, we have nothing to hang the sword of the spirit that we'll talk about next Sunday morning on. The breastplate of righteousness hooked into that belt. Now, the truth here is opposite of hypocrisy. Where I'd be more interested in looking good on the outside and going through the motions than in my relationship with Jesus. Paul was continually concerned about believers going back on a relationship with Jesus. Afraid that the passion and the fire would die. And that they would go through the motions and become apathetic about their relationship with Jesus. And he knew if that happened and the battle came at them and life got tough and everything was coming their way. They would give in, give up, or lose the battle. And sadly, that's exactly what happened to this church that we've been studying for the last six months. For a lot of you in the room, you've been following Jesus for a long period of time. 10, 20, 50 years, whatever that may be. So I don't know if you remember back what it was like to be a brand new believer in Jesus. If you meet one, you know them. They are passionate. They love what they're doing. They love the fact that God rescued them and redeemed them and set them free, especially when they become a follower of Christ a little bit later in life. And they are on fire. Man, they're reading the Word of God, and they'll, they'll come to you every once in a while and say, look at this verse. Look at this verse I found. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You ever see that one, Pastor? No, I've never seen that one. Tell me what the rest of it says. You know, I used to see that on a placard at a football game. Didn't know what that meant. I would see them holding it up in the end zone, and I thought, that's really cool. But I don't know who John is, and I don't know what 316, because that's not a number that I saw playing football today. And then all of a sudden, I found Jesus, and I found the Word of God, and I began to read that. And I went, that's what that verse means? God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that I could have life and have it forever? And they'll bring me all these Bible verses and they're excited about Word of God and excited about growing in God. And they want to get connected to a small group when they love communion because it's a reminder of what Jesus did for them. And they remember what it was like walking down that road feeling they had nowhere to turn and nowhere to go. And their life was empty and hollow inside. And now they found peace and forgiveness and relationships in the family of God. And they, they, when you talk about heaven and eternal life, they're going, man, I got it now. You mean I get more later? And then sadly, somewhere along the way, that passion and fire dies. And they go to church and they sing the songs and they maybe raise their hands every once in a while. And they love the music. But it's just not what it was. And they're not as on fire and they're not as enthusiastic. And, and they know they are saved. They, they know they know Christ. But it's just somehow not quite what it used to be. One of the saddest things to see. For many of you in your room, you, you are just as passionate, hopefully more so than when you first came to Christ. And Paul was so concerned that somewhere along the way, if we really didn't stay connected and didn't understand the pieces of the armor and didn't stay connected with God and a passionate understanding of his word and a pursuit of that, that the enemy was going to come at us and all kinds of thoughts and that back life that we got rid of at one point is going to come back and kind of haunt us and we're going to leave that Christian bubble and we're going off to a secular university and we're hearing all this junk and yeah, it just isn't the same. And sadly enough, the very, very first church that we're talking about here, when John 
the apostle has the opportunity to have this glimpse of the future and through Jesus writes to seven churches in that particular region. One of them is the church at Ephesus. He started out with such passion and enthusiasm and fire and he said, you lost your first love. You lost your first love, the purity of your devotion to God. Man, you were starting so strong. I'm begging you, I'm beseeching you. Go back to what you first knew and fall in love again. You know that in the context of marriage. How fun it is to be so head over heels in love. I still find it fascinating after 43 years, the enjoyment, the time together, uh, the, the journey of life. And for many of you who have been married for a while, you remember that. And then you got so excited and then life happened and all of a sudden the, the, the flame is still there, but it's kind of wickering, flickering down and it's not as fun as it used to be. And you got to reignite it every once in a while with something or an event. For those of you who know what it's like to be still in love, head over heels in love, saw a couple on the plane. I wanted so bad to ask them how long they were married because I knew we were our age, and they were just gushy, and it was a hoot to watch them. Remember what that was like? I hope you know what that's like. Yeah. Battle's going to come. Temptation is right around the corner, and apathy is waiting for us got all that junk inside of us that every once in a while creeps up, the stuff we got rid of in our old way of life that's now coming back. you got that world system that says no absolutes, nothing really matters, whatever feels good to you, do it. you got this Christian gal or this Christian guy who grew up in a church and maybe was sheltered a little bit in their school or the Christian school, whatever that may be, and then all of a sudden felt that they wanted to go to a second university and learn a trade of some kind or explore some other option in life, and then all of a sudden they're hearing stuff that they never heard before. And they're battling it like crazy and they find themselves saying, is that, this really true? Is everything I heard all my life true? I mean, our society is, I mean, you hear it all the time, especially now, every day in the news or the television, it's that battle back and forth between what's true and what's right, what I stand for and what I don't. I, I want to be sensitive when I say this, but I've seen these, I was watching these commercials the other day and it's a... It's a cat or a dog that just makes you just rips your heart out by wanting to rescue it. And 325,000 babies every year are killed. And nobody says much about it at all. More of a demonstration the week before than this week in the walk of life. And more notoriety to the demonstration the week before and to the walk of life. Now, I love cats. I mean, I don't, I don't know that all, I know all dogs are going to heaven. I'm not sure all cats are. But, <laughs> so... I, I really like them. My wife loves them, and, and I have one that's my favorite that is at our house. But isn't it a little bit skewed in life when all of a sudden we're more interested in that than these precious lives? And we've got a whole generation and generation before them that are going off knowing the sanctity of life and the purity of life who all of a sudden are bombarded by all kinds of different values and circumstances. And running this way and that way, and, and you find yourself as a parent going, what happened? They're going to be strong in their commitment to law. God. You've got to stand up against all of that. You've got to recognize that there's a barrage of darkness waiting to come after you with everything it's got. You've got to understand and know the truth. To recognize the truth when we see it, we need to know a lie when we hear it. When we hear a lie from Satan, you're not a good Christian. It really doesn't matter if you find your value in that thing, that girl, that guy. 
You're never going to survive this Christian life. No matter how many times you fail, see how many times you fail. You're really nothing special. God can't use you. Do you know your junk? You don't have it together like the rest of those people that stand up here. What are you thinking? That you could be used by a God. You hear all that junk. You've got to stand on the truth of God's word. Every, I was fascinated by the songs that Dave led us into this morning. The unbelievable power of the word of God and the truth of God. And we have to decide, do I believe all of that that I just said, worthy is the lamb? Do I believe that everything that I just sang this morning, I am absolutely convinced that he will walk with me no matter what. That he'll be with me every step of the way. That I don't have to worry about depending on me or getting through it. But I am absolutely certain that he is going to be everything I need no matter what. We can get so convinced sometimes that we can win the war on the strength of our own commitment that if we're not careful, we'll fall like Peter did who said, Jesus, I'll follow you to the end. Those guys are going to fail you. I'm with you. And then he fell like a rock. You've got to have the full armor of God. Second piece, the breastplate of righteousness. You know from the old movies what they look like. You see one here this morning. You see one on the big screen, that big heavy mesh or that chain mesh or that metal one or the heavy cloth that was there. It protected the midsection. If you know anything about police officers, we've got a lot of them in our church here, and a lot of them are friends of mine, and every time I see one, no matter where he's at, I'm always poking him in the chest. You've got your Kevlar vest on, right? You better be wearing your vest today. I want to make sure you're wearing your vest today. And it protects their midsection. It protects the vitals. To the Jew, their thinking, their emotions, their feelings were all in that midsection. Their heart was just simply not an organ that pumped blood. It was who they were on the inside. As a man thinketh in his head, so is he. Everything that they understood about life came out of the vitals of their life in their gut. And those were the areas they felt needed to be protected. We'll talk about the helmet of salvation next week for the mind, but it's clearly who they were, what they felt about life, their emotions, their feelings, their thinking all came from those regions of their body that needed to be protected. And they needed to make sure it was covered by the blood of Christ and the righteousness of Jesus. You can hit me in the arm, you can bruise my arm, and it's going to heal. But my thinking and my emotions, man, those take a long time to heal when damaged. Sometimes a lifetime. I sat with a number of pastors this week and their wives and listening to some of the stories and some of the environment in which some of them grew up with. It's fascinating now to see where God has taken them and what God's done in their life. But there are some who are for years, for years have struggled with some of the stuff that's happened in their life that they're now, after all of these years, finally finding victory in. You know that lie we told our kids, sticks and stones will hurt my bones and names will never hurt me? It's a lie. They can destroy, they can hurt. And that's why we need to make sure that we have a clear understanding of who I am in Christ and what he's done for me and what he offers me and who he is and how he protects me in the midst of all of that stuff. So I don't believe the lies of the enemy. I don't believe the lies of who I'm not, who I used to be and what I did and what I can't do and all the junk and my failures. I don't believe all of those lies. I believe the truth. My thinking and my emotions, they... Take a long time, sometimes for some a lifetime. We can deny the pain, grit our teeth, and say we're okay. And it may protect us against people, but not against the enemy who knows our weakness and knows what's coming after us. Our righteousness needs to be in Christ and Christ alone. Not in how good we are or how good we do. Churches can't be guilty of that. Denominations can't be guilty of that. Pastors can't be guilty of that. 
If we're flying, CAC is flying on how good we are, how great our programs are, how beautiful our facilities are, how incredible our music is. If we're flying on that and that alone, we're toast. And they are all amazing. Most amazing staff I've ever worked with, incredible ministries and opportunities to grow in your relationship with God. The most unbelievable guy I've ever worked with in music. Just, it is fun every day to be a part of what God's doing here and a part of this team. But if we're flying on how good we are or how good we do what we do or how great we, things we offer, we're toast if that's what we're depending on. Our righteousness is not in who we are, how good we do. It is all in the blood of Christ and what he does through us. How awesome it is to be able to follow him. I've seen churches, I've seen pastors, I've seen parachurch ministries all get caught up in how good they have done and how great they are. It's in Christ and Christ alone. On Christ, the solid what? Rock I stand. Everything else is what? Sinking sand. And my thinking, my emotions, my feelings, those are the things that the enemy's going to come after me. Every once in a while, he'll hit me with a physical issue, but I'm telling you, where he knows he can get me is in my thinking and my feelings. On Christ is solid rock, I stand. Nothing else matters. Number three, and we'll finish here this morning, shoes fit with the gospel of peace. My ability to stand firm and not get pushed around the enemy is the fact that I made peace with God, and Satan cannot take that away from you if you know for sure you have it. So many of you have gone through the end of life with family members or friends of yours that you've known. And every once in a while you hear somebody say as they walk into a nursing home or a room of some kind and, and they'll say to Grandpa or Uncle John or Aunt Susie, have you made peace with God? Have you made peace with your maker? And then sometimes we kind of leave it there. And, and I'm hoping you take it to the next level of helping them understand what it means to have peace with God. Not just to know there's a God and know that when I die, things are going to be okay and I'll die successfully or die well. But that I have absolute peace with God and have made peace with Him to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I've committed my life to Jesus. When I leave this world, I'll see Him face to face. And there is nothing that can ever take that away. And I'm absolutely certain that I know it. And if I die tonight at 22 or 82, and if I die slowly or quickly, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've made not only just peace with my maker, but I've invited Christ into my life and I've accepted him as savior. And I've turned my life over to him and I know beyond the shadow of a doubt when I leave this world, I'll see God face to face. That's an incredible amount of peace. Paul says later it passes all understanding. Doesn't make sense that you could be at peace that much. But when you know Christ is your savior, the enemy will come back and say to you, are you sure? Are you sure? Do you know for sure? You say, absolutely. I am absolutely certain I've given my life to Jesus. On Friday night, I sat around with three pastors, two of them who were really good friends of mine. Fascinatingly enough, like 15 or 18 pastors there, Almost half of us have had major heart issues at some point or the other. And I keep wondering, is there a parallel to ministry in a large church and heart problems? I don't know. But three of us happened to be together. One had an, I had an ablation. One had uh, open heart surgery. The other had stents. And we were talking about what it was like to be in a hospital and intensive care and all that jazz. And every one of us were sharing our stories. And I said, to this day, still I remember, 2009 I think it was, I was in the hospital heart was racing 210 beats a minute, 220 at times, 980, and it wouldn't stop. No matter what they did, it wouldn't stop. 
And Saturday night, the doctor said, everybody's got to go. She put oxygen on me and kind of kissed me goodbye, and she left. And, and I sat there for a moment, and I thought, I'll be gone. I'm going to die tonight. I didn't see that coming. I had a five-minute conversation with God. I did not see this coming. I mean, I knew it was going to happen someday, but I didn't think right now. I love to see it around. I love the people that I'm pastoring. I, I love my kids and my grandkids. I love to see them grow up and mature a little bit. But I'll be, you're going to take me home tonight. Okay? I went to sleep. That's just the craziest thing. I woke up the next morning, kind of opened one eye and looked around. And <laughs> saw a nurse walk in and still had all the tubes and the wires on and all the junk in the room. And I thought, oh, God, if this is heaven, I'm really disappointed because... <laughs> It's not what you told me it was going to be. And we were all talking about that, and every single one of us had a similar experience of some kind or the other, and absolutely certain that whatever he did that night was okay because we knew exactly where we were going. Out of all the things that you want to know for sure in life, that's one you want to know for sure. Not just that I've made peace with my maker, but I have the peace of Christ because I know that in such and such a moment, I received Christ as my Savior, committed my life to Him. Am I all that I wanted to be? No. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I leave this world today, tonight, tomorrow, I'll see Jesus face to face. And that, my friends, the enemy can never take away from you, no matter what you go through. I hope you know that. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the word. I thank you for the armor that you provided for us, the warnings you've given us, the awareness we need to have, all the resources that are available to us. And as we continue to explore and unpack those, I'm just so delighted that you didn't leave us alone or try to figure this out on our own or hope we make it, but you gave us every resource necessary. And, and that one specifically, starting out our journey with you, accepting you as Savior, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are your children that you are our Father and our God. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure, you'd like to, you, you kind of know, you, you think you know, and i got to believe that the majority of you, probably 98.7% of you know for sure. But if there's one or two of you that says, I, I, I'm not as sure as you certainly sounded, but I want to be. I want to pray for you. So the rest of you are bound your heads. I don't want to make anybody feel awkward, but boy, I'd love to pray for you right now. Would you raise your hand? You're not sure, but you want to be. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Okay. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, this is the day. January 29th, 2017 is a day that these that are sitting here this morning can be absolutely certain. Confess their sins, turn their lives over to you, and know beyond the shadow of a doubt on this very day, no matter what happens from this point on, they know you as Savior. They've invited you into their life. So right now, for those of you who raise your hand, invite Christ into your life. Fully commit yourself to Him, knowing that you don't know the future, but you know who holds it. Kind of take your hands off the wheel and let Him in charge. It will be the absolute best day of your life. And your eternity, by the way. And your eternity, by the way. So God, we commit them to you. We ask in the name of Christ.
that you will do an amazing work in their life as they continue on this journey with you. Thank you for all that you've given us to remind us of how simple and easy it is to have peace with God. In your name we pray. Amen. If I could pray with you, I'd love to do that. Don't leave. Come up here and talk to me, but let's pray together about that, that decision. There's some elders here this morning who would pray with you. Next Sunday morning, we'll finish this. Don't want to miss it because there's some great stuff that's on this board and beyond that that I want to share with you. I'll see you then. God bless you.